Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. I want to start by saying I'm very sorry for not publishing a new episode two weeks ago. Things just got too busy at my 9-to-5 job. But to make up for it, I'll be publishing a new episode each of the next three weeks before returning to our regular bi-weekly schedule. And we begin with a fascinating conversation with P.J. Agnes, an expert in self-defense and protective intelligence. He's the author of many books, including his most recent, Street Level Spycraft, and they are all available on Amazon. PJ and I talk about communicating in what may be the most difficult situation of all, when you find yourself in a confrontation in which your physical well-being is at risk. PJ shares his advice for verbally de-escalating a dangerous encounter and controlling your fight-or-flight instinct so you can make a more rational decision when your adrenaline is spiking, And we also discuss how some of the techniques that spies use to motivate sources can be used to communicate more effectively at work. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I don't know where you are, but uh, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, and we're enjoying a spring-like day today, so. Wherever I'm in are. Minnesota, where it's cold. Where it's usually cold, I take Yes, yes, absolutely. As I indicated to you, I, I like to start my interviews with a question that's not necessarily relevant to the topic, but it's something that is of interest to me, and that's to ask about your ancestry and how your family uh, made its way to Minnesota, if that's where they uh, landed when they came to the U.S., or if they came uh, via somewhere else. Well, it's not a very clear-cut answer, and I have looked into it. I know that on my mother's mother's side, there were immigrants from Finland who came over and settled in Ely, Minnesota. Um, They, for some reason, couldn't settle in a warmer place. But unlike people who have, you know, ancestry that I'm 100% Irish or I'm 100% German, I'm kind of a mutt. And so my family is from all over. And the more I look into it, the the muddier the waters get. You know, some German, some Italian, some Irish, some Finnish, some Native American. So really, I guess the easiest answer is my ancestors were kicked out of any decent country and we're just kind of sent here at some point so i don't really know well that's interesting that's a joke bill murray tells in stripes i don't know if you ever saw that that's where i stole it from absolutely yep Yep. 
we were Americans. We were kicked out of every decent country on earth. Uh, well, that's very common. I mostly European, Eastern European. My dad's side, um, Hungarian, with some other ethnicities thrown in, and my mom's family, primarily from uh, Russia, uh, very close to Ukraine, which of course is in the news a lot today. So, sure, yeah, I think we're we're just a couple of uh, well, mostly European mutts, I guess. Tell us a little bit about uh, your own background. I know that's kind of an open-ended question, but I'm particularly interested to know how you made your way into the uh, field of self-defense. I graduated from high school morbidly obese. Um, I had been picked on for most of my life, so I really had a lot of self-esteem issues. Really came to a place where I decided I want to get in better shape. I want to improve my own health. And my cousin was doing Kung Fu at the time, studying Southern Praying Mantis Kung Fu. And I had always thought as a kid that I could deal with some of my bullying issues if I had just gotten to martial arts. And, you know, I was the 80s, early 90s. And there was kind of a martial arts craze going on. So I had always been interested in doing that and wasn't really able to pursue it as a kid. And so I stuck around in that Kung Fu class for four and a half years. And then I found someone who was teaching a Russian military martial art and he was also teaching Muay Thai. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And you know, I could, I could test myself that way and be a, a tougher, more dangerous individual. And I was always doing it for the purpose of protecting people around me. Um, and I, I got involved in that. And then a mixed martial arts gym happened to open up by my house some years later. And I thought, well, that would be even a tougher challenge and you know I can learn some more and learn a lot of martial arts that way so I went there in the hopes of of just toughening myself up not even looking to compete or anything and um, then I was asked by someone from my church if I could come to the women's bible study and show them you know, some self-defense techniques and doing martial arts. It's not the exact same as self-defense. So I, I showed them what I could. And then I went to some self-defense classes and made sure that I started learning some self-defense techniques and then started really looking at things like FBI statistics and police statistics look at the way crime happened and looked at some criminology. And then I, you know, got involved with what some of the people I had been studying with were had military and intelligence backgrounds and really gravitated towards whatever they could teach me. And then started teaching self-defense at this church on a weekly basis and did that for a number of years and then kind of expanded to have an online presence. You mentioned that you 
got involved in martial arts to protect those around you, are you talking about in a, a personal way or in a professional capacity or, or both? In a personal way. And do you now provide personal protection services as well? I have. I, I don't regularly, but I certainly have. And I've just being out there online have gotten some really interesting opportunities and situations posed to me. I've dealt with a lot of women who are being stalked. The police don't always have a way to help those women. You know, they can they can go and get a restraining order, which is in some places harder than others. And that does not always deter um, the stalker from the situation. So I've made sure that I've expanded my skill set to know how to really help those people. And I, I don't call myself a self-defense teacher anymore. I talk about protective intelligence because the notion of self-defense gets understood by people to think like someone comes up to me in a dark alley and, you know, they, they try to grab my shirt or punch me and I do a really cool block and then I knock them out. And I really like to teach that hey, there are a lot of things that we can do before we get to that situation. Why are you in a dark alley? Did we know where that dark alley was beforehand? Could we have avoided that entire situation? So there is a lot more to self-defense or protecting yourself than just that physical aspect. And that really should be the very last resort. Well, that leads me right into the heart of the discussion I wanted to have with you today. This is a podcast about communicating more effectively in difficult situations, and I can't imagine a situation more difficult where potentially your physical safety is in jeopardy. And I wanted to ask you about what we can do, as you just indicated, to avoid getting into a fight in the first place. You know, I, you know, I think about the fight or flight reflex and I'm thinking that if I ever found myself in a situation where that began to kick in and I thought I might need to call upon my admittedly very limited self-defense skills, that I may make the wrong decision. As you indicated, don't go in the alley in the first place. Uh, don't be where you may be in danger. So from, from a communication standpoint, if that makes sense, what can we do to avoid being in a situation where we either have to you know, flee or fight. Certainly, this is all about communication. And as I believe every interaction between human beings is about communication. Mm. And I'm sure, as you know, that communication happens far more frequently non-verbally. And it's more a lot of times about what you don't say than what you do say. And so whenever we can de-escalate a situation, that is the absolute best result. And that, that fight or flight response really is something that I think is inbred in a lot of people. The desire to fight or the desire to flee is something that just kind of kicks in without thinking. 
Um, and, and fleeing the situation is actually always the best. And I, I'd really like to, you know, go into a hypothetical situation. So we're on the road and you have inadvertently cut me up. Now, I don't know if that ever happens with you or if you're just a better driver than I am, but I inadvertently have cut people off sometimes. And when road rage happens, it's usually not that incident that is the driver behind the road rage. That was an unintentional pun, but I'm absolutely okay with making it. Um, but it's usually the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I've, I've had a bad day. I've had a fight with my wife. I've had a rough day at work or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly that guy cuts me off and I see red right away because all these other things have happened. And so I pull over and I yell at you to pull over. And the best thing that you could possibly do is not pull over. The best thing that you could possibly do is just leave, not get out of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Chances are once you get out of the vehicle, nothing good is going to happen. You know, we're not, I'm not going to pull over angry at you. You get out of the vehicle and then I go, oh, well, I overreacted to that situation. You know, here's a free cookie. Most of the time, it's only going to escalate in a really dangerous way. So if you can flee that situation, it's always best to. Now, let's say that that happened and you pull over at a gas station and then I have followed you to the gas station. I get out behind you. You didn't notice me. Now, now hopefully you could notice that car following you and take action then, but it happens sometimes that we don't. And I get up in your face. Now it's a, now verbal de-escalation is kind of the best thing that you can hope for if you turn and run away there that might be a situation where i clock you in the back of the head and that you know is one of the worst places that you can get hit so we want to avoid that so verbal de-escalation would always i would say come when you don't have a chance to flee that situation and then what i would say is that's an information gathering when we talk about protective intelligence it's an intelligence gathering phase for you what am i mad at what am i yelling about how likely is this person to really escalate to physical violence and what i would say about that is trust your gut no wild animal in the world ignores their instincts but as human beings we ignore our instincts all the time you know you have a gut feeling about whether I'm violent, whether I'm ready to physically attack you. My body language is giving you all those indicators. And my distance from you, it plays a huge part in that. If I'm 20 feet away from you yelling at you, it's going to be really, really hard for me to strike you. But if I am, if I get up in your face and now I'm half a foot from you, there's a really good chance that I could escalate to physical violence really, really quickly. 
hypothetical situation you outlined brought back to mind a, an incident that I was involved in many years ago when I was a younger man and a little more hot-headed, and I was pulling out of the parking garage of my office building, and I cut off a bicyclist. And, uh, you know, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't see him. And uh, we came both to a light uh, right there side by side, and he yelled through the window at me for doing what I did. And at that point, I could have easily just said, you know, I'm really sorry because you know no harm was done and it was my fault. But instead, because I am not fond of bicyclists on city streets, I yelled back at him and his reaction was to knock the side mirror off of my car. And then he proceeded through the light and down the street and I chased him in my car and cut him off and got out. And he said, what do you, he stopped and he said, what do you want? And I said, I want you to pay for the damage that you did. And he swore at me and tried to bike away. And I grabbed the seat of the bicycle so he couldn't go anywhere. Now, once again, there's another instance where I could have de-escalated things and just let him go, you know, thinking, well, there's not much I can do about this. But when I grabbed the bike, uh, he just cold cocked me on the side of the head and knocked me to the ground. I was able to pull myself up and I ran after him even then as he was biking away down the street until I think my rational brain kicked in and thought, you know, this is a very violent guy and I don't know if he has a weapon on him and maybe I should just quit <laughs> while I'm behind, so to speak, and, uh, and let it go, which is what I did. But as I think about that, there's sort of that fight or flight sort of kicked in. And as you, you know, I was already hot under the collar for whatever reason, maybe something had gone wrong at work that day. But can, do you think the, like, the average person can in any way control that fight or flight reflex? I absolutely do. I think it's something that you have to kind of slow down and kind of get out of that space of your feelings a little more. You can certainly train it. And I'm not just talking about martial arts or self-defense. And I would say that if you can get in a situation where you're taking some martial arts classes or you're taking some self-defense classes or even some like boxing classes, I think it's really invaluable to have that experience of someone throwing punches at you. Um, maybe you have that adrenaline dump and have to deal with that. And the more comfortable that you are dealing with that situation, the more times you've been in that situation, the better you equipped you are to deal with it if and when that does happen. Uh, but studies actually show that if you have been trained in anything physically, you are better prepared to deal with an emergency situation. So let's say, and this isn't a situation that I made up, this is something that I actually did read in the research, is if you are, say, a distance runner, you are better prepared to act rationally in, say, a situation where you need to escape a fire. Um, they were saying that those, the people that have that physical training are better equipped to do things like turn doorknobs. Mm. That is something that doesn't really occur to you when you haven't been in that situation, but your fine motor skills 
really go out the window in any kind of an adrenaline dump situation. Uh, so it's, I think, really important to to seek out a little bit of training if you can. But if you haven't, to recognize I'm feeling an adrenaline dump right now and maybe I should count to 10. That fight or flight response absolutely is possible to deal with, but you need to stop and assess your situation. And I'm not talking about what they call paralysis by analysis, where you freeze up and start really analyzing everything that's going on around you and every possible outcome of that situation. But just take a couple of seconds to go, all right, what information am I getting and what should I be doing here? Um, it, it really is that that stopping, assessing, and not reacting too quickly. If you think of a military situation, no army in the world will go charging in without knowing a situation or, or what kind of situation they're getting themselves into because they'd be slaughtered if they did. Without the proper information and without the proper analysis, we can't really react properly. So recognizing that fight or flight response is there is a valuable thing. And it's there for a reason, but it's also kind of an animal instinct. And we have a lot of other options as people, you know, we can fight, we can flee, we can negotiate, we can gather allies to ourselves, we can assess, and sometimes we can do nothing. Right. You know, if, if I'm in that situation where you were talking about with the biker, or the bicyclist, I guess, because when we talk about bikers, we usually talk about guys on motorcycles, and that might be a completely different situation. Was it necessary that you really had to do anything in that situation? Not at all. You could have left without apologizing, without talking to him, without following him, and you would have at very least saved yourself the money of having to replace your mirror or the head headache of having to bring it into a shop and replacing it, which we don't often think about it, but there are consequences anytime we get confrontational with people. Now, I'm very competent in my ability to defend myself against the average person, but that doesn't mean I couldn't get sucker punched and right. fall down and hit my head and die. You know, especially in, in Minnesota, I go out to the parking lot and there's some jerk that I'm, you know, dealing with. It's a very good possibility that there's some ice. He goes to push me and I slip and I smack my head on my car or I defend myself against him and do what I'm trained to do. And he slips and hits his head, or I hit him in precisely the wrong spot, and all of a sudden he's dead. There are some really grave consequences. There are legal consequences. Um, there are emotional and social and mental consequences. And if I can avoid all of this, 
if I can do that fleeing without ever really dealing with the situation, it's all the better. It might hurt my ego a little bit, but if that's the only thing that gets damaged, I've got off really, really lucky. And then if I can talk that situation down, you know, that's, that's the second best option. If I, and I really trained my ego to go, if I can get out of a situation, if I can, and Bruce Lee talked about this and he uh, stole this quote from Miyatu Masashi. If I can win a battle without fighting, it's really the greatest victory. And I can pat myself on the back because I have been successful and I have really won. If I can get out of a situation without fighting, if I can verbally de-escalate, if I can, if I'm in a situation where I'm in a sports bar or something, which I rarely ever am, I, I don't drink, but maybe I bump into a guy and I can, and I, you know, spill his drink. And the situation escalates, and now I have to verbally de-escalate, and I offer to buy him a drink, and we sit down and have a good conversation and leave as friends. If I have won that person over to my side, I absolutely think that is a victory, and it is a better victory than if I would have knocked him unconscious. I agree, and certainly in retrospect, I came out of that situation with my antagonistic bicyclist, very lucky because there were a number of instances where I could have really found myself hurt or I, you know, I had a car and he only had a bike and had I been even angrier and out of control, who knows what kind of damage I could have done in return. So I suppose I do, well, I definitely regret the way I handled it, although I'm glad that I didn't, you know, I sort of eventually just let it go. I didn't continue to chase him because that would have just made things worse. But so let's rewind my situation. And I've cut him off and we come to the light and he screams at me through my window for cutting him off. There's the point where verbal de-escalation certainly could have taken care of the situation before it got out of control as it did. What advice do you have for somebody in a situation like that when it comes, when you have an opportunity to try to de-escalate by simply communicating uh, in a verbal way? I would say in that specific situation, if you have a car, in between you as a shield, that is a really advantageous situation to you, of course. But I personally would apologize, but you don't need to go that far. You, just like in situations like a marriage or with a child or an unruly coworker, most people just want to be heard and acknowledged, and verbal de escalation really takes the same tone is he go he you know were to scream at you hey jerk you cut me off you can absolutely acknowledge that you cut him off you're not agreeing with that person you're not judging the situation you're just acknowledging how he's feeling and most of the time by just acknowledging that person, by just hearing that person, that is the first step in de-escalation. So really take your e- taking your ego out of it and just letting that other person feel heard and acknowledge. Then most of the time, I mean, we cut people off and either don't, don't even know it or 
feel kind of dumb that we did it. And so any time that I could go, oh, I didn't really, sorry, I didn't realize I cut you off. Or, yeah, I feel dumb that I cut you off. And then his anger doesn't really have anywhere to go. I mean, it takes two people to fight, you know, just like mm-hmm. that old saying, it takes two to tango. Really does take two people to fight. If you're mad at me and I'm not going to give you that energy in return, it's very difficult to fight with. And as someone who, you know, knows how to to handle that and knows what the terrible outcomes of a fight could possibly be, it is really difficult to get me to fight because I don't want to. Well, I mean, at, at some point I do want to. There is something in me that does want to fight because I err on that side of that fight or flight response. But I know that that's a decision that I should absolutely avoid. And so, yeah, just let that person be heard. Be physically ready to defend yourself. I always teach getting your hands up in in a way that kind of shows I don't want any trouble. You know, kind of this open hand, open palm stance. Because now I'm physically ready to defend myself, but I'm not taking a clenched fist kind of a fighter stance because i if you're angry i never know when it could escalate to violence or not so i want to be ready for it but of course i'm trying to i'm trying to calm down the situation a couple of months ago i was uh, driving here in Gaithersburg and I switched lanes without checking my side mirror. <laughs> Once again, side mirror comes into play. Uh, yeah. I'm and, really sensing a pattern here. <laughs> and I, I sway, sideswiped a car that was coming and we pulled over and got out. A young woman got out. She was uh, v- very angry, but I think more upset and kind of scared. She, I doubt she'd ever been in even a fender bender before. And I suppose maybe the wisdom of age came into play. And I immediately, as you said, put up my hands almost in a surrender stance and said, I'm really sorry. That was all my fault. Are you okay? And you could just see all of that anger, all of that stress just drained out of her body. And she just sort of shook her head and and said, yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm fine. Let's exchange information. A police officer who happened by pulled over and helped us and we went on our way. So there, I guess, are some bookends uh, in terms of how I've handled a situation. Maybe I've learned something along the way. Yeah, Uh, you, you did everything right. Yeah. It only took me, uh, well, let's see, 25 to 30 years between those two incidents to to figure it out. Well, before I let you go, I do want to touch on another aspect of your life, and that is spycraft. You have a book that I was able to take a look at, some of it, on Amazon street-level spycraft. And the sections I read, you were talking about uh, recruiting assets and motivating agents, and that kind of piqued my interest because... When I work with clients on risk communication skills and techniques, and that's really at the heart of what this podcast is about, I always make sure to emphasize that what they're learning can be used to mislead and manipulate as easily as it can be used to inform and persuade. And I make sure they understand that you know, from an ethical point of view, uh, the skills and techniques should only be used for the latter. Taking that into account, are there skills and techniques you know, in those fields of recruitment and motivation that 
you think uh, you know business professionals could apply in a way that can help them be better communicators? Absolutely. We talked about manipulation, and I, I write a good deal about uh, manipulation in the book and talk about actually the Office of Strategic Services. There's the forerunner of the CIA, their campaign to spread rumors in Berman. And what I would say to anyone is manipulation is not something that you want to, especially as just a civilian, as a person, want to engage in because it really is like making a bomb. You know, mm-hmm. you, you could make it to serve your purpose, but it could also just blow your hand off. No one likes to be manipulated. And when they realize that they have been manipulated, it's not going to end up good for the manipulate. They are going to react very negatively to it. And so, yes, I write about what the intelligence community, uh, this acronym they use, and the acronym is MICE, and that is how they look for just the factors that motivate people. It stands for money, ideology, coercion, and ego. Coercion would be that manipulation. And coercion is thought of as being the weakest part of that equation because you can only coerce me with something to a certain degree. Once I stop being afraid of that coercion once I stop caring about what you're holding over my head, I could come after you. So we want to avoid that if at all possible and really use those positive motivating factors. And someone who is a leader of business can discover pretty quickly what motivates people and make them feel heard, seen, valued, and always get a positive outcome. If always get a more positive outcome than if they were to coerce someone. If if you were my boss and make me feel valued, make me feel like I am doing a a good job and a uh, something that really makes a difference, it will motivate me much longer than if you said, get this done by Friday or you're fired. I mean, you could get that result of me getting the project done by Friday, but eventually what's going to happen is I'm just going to look for a different job or I'm not going to do a good job for you when I'm not under that threat or no longer care about that threat. Absolutely agree that you know, threats ultimately are going to backfire in a professional setting. But I think it's also equally important to praise more than you criticize. You don't want employees going into cold sweats whenever you call them into your office, because the only time you ever do is to figuratively or literally yell at them about something that they may have done wrong or you think they've done wrong. They need to be able to trust that you're going to be open and honest with them both ways, if you will. At the end of the day, the only way to really get my get a person's best out of them 
is to make them want to give you their best. Mm -hmm. And if I know that there's some motivating factor, some praise, some reward that I will get for creating surplus value for you, because you know that's really what work is. If if you're in a business, is you know you're looking for some surplus value out of me, and that's why you will give me some kind of compensation for it. You know you'll you'll pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year if I'm going to make the company you know two hundred thousand dollars or more than that, whatever it is. But to get me to continue to produce results, uh, you need to make me want to. And and threatening, manipulating is only going to make me want to do that for a limited amount of time. But eventually, I'm going to look somewhere else, or you're not going to get the best results from me when I'm unhappy. So it's it's the same as verbal de-escalation. Make people feel heard, make people feel acknowledged, control the energy, don't feed negative energy with negative energy, don't create a negative environment, and you'll get the best, the best results. Communication is, I think, not that complicated it's just we're we're not always great at the basics with my wife i know that listening to her and acknowledging her feelings is the right way to go i just don't always remember to do it or i i can't get out of my own way sometimes i can't get my own ego out of the way sometimes to do it but whether i'm handling a conflict that might turn violent or dealing with my wife, dealing with a friend, or dealing with, you know, my daughter. My daughter has some really big feelings. And hearing her and acknowledging her feelings produce a much better result than me telling her, well, your feelings are irrational, your feelings are wrong, which, which they might be. But that doesn't, I would say, I mean, not just usually not have a positive result. I don't know if it's ever had a positive result. Well, very true. And you have sort of nicely brought us back to where we began. So I think that's a good place to close out. I really appreciate your time. I'm glad that we connected. Absolutely. I'm too. As always, thank you to Jim Cirillo of jimiumgroup.com for our original music and to Rachel Greenberger for our original art. If you have any thoughts or ideas for topics you'd like us to cover or questions you'd like to ask, please send an email to wtswtgt at gmail.com and please follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. Until next time, always be positive. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.